Amen. Well, this is um, Palm Sunday today, and we know we are familiar with the story of how Jesus came, and he came, you know, riding a donkey. Instead of a big horse, he rode a donkey and came to um, Jerusalem, and all the people just celebrated him. They understood something important was here. They got that. But what they didn't get was that he was coming as a humble man of peace and God, but as, you know, the thing about Jesus, I I love this line of of one of our songs that we sing, is he didn't, um, oh, I should get it right, he didn't want heaven without us, so he brought heaven to us. That's what he wanted. That's what he wanted. He wasn't coming in as a big conqueror to kill off the Roman people. That was not in his heart. What his heart was, was to bring heaven to them. And they totally missed it. And I've been aware ever since I became, became a believer, um, when I was um, 18, that honestly, we as people can miss things. Even now, even with having the Holy Spirit, we can miss things and be totally wrong in what we think is from God. And so I'm going to ask you to hear me out today and really be asking the Lord what he's saying to you, if anything. Um, I've had the pleasure, the real pleasure, of living through two revivals. I think that's just wonderful. And revivals are amazing. One of them was, can you, um, Linda, are you there, Linda? Oh, good. Yeah. Okay, there's two of them. The, the one on the, the right was the Jesus People movement. And I, I became a believer during that. And honestly, you know, our words that we said to people is, Jesus loves you and I love you too. And it was such an amazing time. For the first time in my life, I was in love with people. I didn't come from a home where people even said, I love you. So it was so interesting, especially being brought up in a very conservative Connecticut area where you didn't even hug. You didn't do anything like that to come into and be born into the Jesus People movement where everybody was giving this message of love. And I remember just one day just feeling so full of God's love and, and looking in the mirror, and I've said this before, but it was so astounding because I looked different. I looked different. And I remember thinking, I just love God and I love people. I had changed. I had been transformed. And then, you know, then we had the chance, person I had the chance to be um, in the Toronto um, blessing. And I know that that's gotten mixed reviews. But I want to tell you, that first year, you know, the Holy Spirit came down so strong on Toronto Airport, which used to be a vineyard, Toronto Airport Vineyard Christian, Christian Fellowship, um, January 20th, 1994. And that year, and nobody expected it. I mean, it was a shock for everybody. I think they just said, come Holy Spirit. Randy Clark didn't expect what happened that day. And he said, come Holy Spirit, and God's presence just went like that. And thus started an amazing, an amazing outpouring of God's love. That, um, that first year, Bruce and I traveled to Toronto five times. Um, 
Honestly, you know, once again, coming from the background I came from, I was pretty scared to go there that first time because a lot of weird things were happening, so I heard. And I didn't want to go there and be terrified. I didn't want I don't like weird things. I'm just going to be honest with you. The only time I like weird things is when the Holy Spirit is on me, and then I'm fine. But the Holy Spirit's not on me. I don't like weird things. And so I was scared to go there, and I loved every minute of it. Like, and there were weird things. It didn't matter. There was so much incredible presence of the Lord. Um, and thousands of both these, both these revivals, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people got saved into the kingdom. It was amazing to be part of that. However, I'll just tell you, having been through two, you know, like when you, when you are, when you know, Let's say you know a season well. Let's say you know spring really well. And so then you start to see the signs of spring. I don't, let's forget like this week. But um, um, you start to see the little, I don't know, the plural of this, crocuses or croci. I don't know what they are, those little things that come up. Crocus, I don't know, the plural is what I don't know. Crocuses. But you start to see them and you go, oh, spring is coming. Or you smell it in the air. You can actually smell spring in the air. I haven't smelled it yet, but you can smell it. You can smell it. And that's what's happening nowadays, is I'm starting to feel that something's up ahead. Yes. I'm very excited about that, but there's another part of me that has some concerns. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. Some concerns. Um, truthfully, um, revival doesn't often end well. Um, I've done a lot of study on revivals. I'm very fascinated by revivals. Azusa Street is one of my favorites. And it got started off really, really well. Brother Seymour was one of the most humble people that I think we've ever, I mean, I didn't know him personally, but I feel I do, that I've ever known, okay? He's just a very, very amazing man. And shortly after this revival where people were just pouring into his very poor little building that he rented, just pouring from all over the world to see what God was doing there. It, wasn't, it was shortly after that that um, a white pastor got jealous and got upset and said, well, this can't be. This absolutely can't be. But he needs to come under me. He needs, and this was his mentor. And so, basically, um, it, it got shut down. It got shut down. How long did it last, Bruce? Seven years. Seven years. No. no, I don't think it lasted that long. Three years. Three years. And then it started draining away. Um, I love to hear about the Welsh revival. Incredible. There, for two years, the judges had no cases Police had nothing to do except crowd control because people were so busy trying to get into churches. It was an incredible time that hit the whole society there, which is a true definition of revival. However, what it lasted, the, the main part of it lasted one year because division started happening. Division. And so that's what I want to talk about. The same thing happened in the Great Awakening. Um, I think, wait, which is the one that uh, Wesley and Whitfield was in? 
The first, the first, are they both called Great Awakenings? The First Awakening? The first one. They were best friends. And they had a vicious, vicious fight that lasted, as far as I can tell, the rest of their lives. You know, like, really? Does revival have to end? Does it have to come to an end? No. But there are things that we do as people that makes the environment toxic. So the Holy Spirit has to leave. The Holy Spirit can't stay where there's division. Just can't stay there. And so I want to talk about that today. What can we do as a people to, to help make revival? Of course, we don't bring revival. God does. But we, you know, there's this um, <coughs> scene from the Old Testament where God would bring the fire and the priest's job was to keep it going. I think that's a picture for us today. God brings the fire, but then we keep it going. And there are things that we can do that will shut it down so quickly or gradually and the Holy Spirit will have to leave. Okay, I've been, I want to say from the start that I've been really, really impacted by a number of people. I've been really impacted and watching closely Bethel, really watching them. Because um, I want to see it, 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 I'm really loving it when the Holy Spirit's presence is there, but I also care about character. And so I've been watching them, and I've never been there. But um, my friends and yours, the Burdens, spent over a year there. And Caitlin and Justin say that what I've read about and listened to and teachings and all that is true. That the atmosphere of, of honor is there and they really do it. Because they were in the school, they got to see the people respond to each other. And it's real. I've also been really affected by Leif Hartland and Danny Silk's book, A Culture of Honor, and some of his teachings, okay? So if some of the stuff I say feels familiar to you and you know these people, I'm not plagiarizing. I've just been caught by this vision, okay? Definition. I, one of the things that I really want to happen here is to create this culture, this atmosphere of honor. Okay, so... Honor. Tameo, it means to show high regard for, to revere, to estimate, to fix a value on. That's a really interesting, um, really interesting word. There was a, a slave named Plubius Servius um, that um, was a, a, a slave during the Roman times. And um, one of the things he asked that question, someone asked him, how much is how much is a thing worth? And he said a thing, and he understood that question because he had been a slave, a wealthy person had bought him, um, paid an extraordinary price for him, and then gave him his freedom. So what he said, a thing is worth what you're willing to pay for it. Okay? Well, think about that. Think about that. How much is each one of us worth and then think the, of the price Jesus paid for us. 
We each have incredible worth. And therefore, we have incredible honor. Incredible honor, each one of us. The Bible has a lot to say about honor. Honoring each other should honestly, the the idea of honor should shape our whole lives. It should be the way we think about ourselves and each other. It should be how we act. It It should be the first and last thing that we think about any of us. And it should be our way of life. See, I'm not looking for a good meeting here. That's great. I love, I mean, every Sunday, I just come away from here and go, Oh my, Bruce, wasn't that just incredible? Because when you look at all the things, and a lot of this, most of this is not programmed at all. Okay, and so, you know, you get Nina Taylor coming up and saying the stuff that's totally what I'm going to be teaching on. And we've never talked. She has no idea. I don't mean we never talked, but we never talked about today. And, and then you get the, all the different words that came up. And, and we start to realize... God has a plan, but it's more than just this meeting. That's great. We have a great meeting, but you know what? He's after our whole lives. He's after how we treat people in our homes. He's after how we treat people at work. He's after how we treat our friends. He's he's after how we treat our enemies. He's after our hearts. So this becomes a lifestyle. Um, Go to the next one. Oh, no, 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 go way back, go way back. That. This is um, Bill Johnson. In a culture of honor, you celebrate who a person is without stumbling over who he's not. Okay, what honor does is when I honor you, I, I push you like a current in a river towards your destiny. I, I see the best in you. I see what life God has for you. Um, I help you realize your dreams. I declare the truth about you, which is whether you're a believer or not, Genesis tells us that you were made, you were created in the image of God. Can you imagine that? I mean, I can't even get my head around that. That God would even want us to be his image bearer. But that is what God says. And honoring you tells you that I believe God is working in your life. That's really important. Because we like to divide people up into these people God is working in and these people God isn't working in. But do you understand that God is working in everybody's life? You may not see it, but that is the truth because he cares about every single person. Honor draws people into community. It draws people in. It is so, honor is so intoxicating to people because we are in a society, especially now, that's not very honoring to anybody. I mean, it's just not very honoring. It's almost, to be, it's almost been become cool to say bad things about people in public. And, you know, that is not the kingdom way. It just isn't what God has for us. Honor releases life in people. 
Okay, I'm going to tell, tell you something about Culture of Honor. I read it a few years ago. I liked it, but it didn't grab me. And I got really into a couple of the stories they told about how they treated people that had failed terribly in their church. And I honestly came away indignant that they treated the people who had... One had was a serial adulterer. And I was like really annoyed how they treated him. And I've thought about it for years and thinking, well, that shouldn't have been that, that shouldn't have been that. Why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do that? I mean, is there a protocol for that? And then I read it, I read it in the last two weeks again, and it was like a light bulb went on. I got it. I got what they were saying. They weren't saying, let's be light on sin at all. That what they were saying is, let's go through this with honor, he, they were telling, the leadership was telling this guy, he said, let us go through this together and let's find out what the problem is. Instead of us just cutting you off from community, let us find out what the problem is. Let's do this together and find out your destiny in God and what's going on here. It was a very um, different concept, but this time I got it. And I've had some experiences since then. I had a, um, just a, a very loved brother here who first came to our church, um, and he was addicted to gambling. And it was a pretty serious um, failure in him. And it had, had messed up his family. It messed up himself. He felt like a failure. He was going to a church where they had rebuked him pretty soundly. And he knew he was wrong. He knew that. And the, the rebukes had done nothing um, for him except make him pick up the shame of what he was doing. And Bruce and I met with him, fell in love with him. And we did what the book said without thinking about the book. <laughs> and we just loved this guy and I'm not, I'm not saying, oh man, aren't we amazing? I'm saying that this worked. We said to him, let us walk with you. Let us care for you. He was probably, um, well, I don't have any brothers. He was my brother. And, um, and he was restored and he was very loved in this church. Very loved. And see, here's the thing. It's the kindness of God. The kindness that draws us into repentance. I've told this story over and over again, and I'm not going to give lots of details this time, but it, it, it is one of those major stories that impacted my whole life. Um, I had, a, I had my, my youngest daughter, um, when she was you know, a teenager in college, we had a terrible relationship. And we were fighting constantly. And I just... I just had nothing but anger towards her and felt really bad about how she always treated me. And, of course, not seeing how I was treating her, too. I don't... Usually when you... When people are treating you badly, you don't see, usually see how you're treating them. But at one point in prayer, God said to me, treat her as if she is saved. And so I started doing that. It changed our relationship drastically. 
When I needed prayer, I would call her up and say, hey, I need prayer. I treated her like she was a believer. I know this is weird, but I treated her like that. When I was having a problem, I would call her up and say, hey, can you give me some advice? This is my problem. And she'd give me some advice, and I'd say, thank you so much. I treated her like she was different than she was. And this is when she was still sinning quite a bit. All right? I know this is weird, but it drastically changed our relationship. And now it's been years. I would say that that Jenna is one of my closest friends. She has moved so close to God. Um, I I love her so much, and um, I am so glad I was able to see her destiny and treat her like that rather than treat her as the enemy would have me treat her. Do you see? Do you get this? Um, you know, that's why a word, we, we love the prophetic word here. And honestly, the prophetic word always should bring you life, encourage you. It, it builds a, a building. Is what it's, it's, the root of it is to build a building. It builds something in you. If it doesn't do that, if it makes you feel bad about yourself... You didn't get a prophetic word from God, okay? Somebody else was getting in there, but it wasn't that. Because the prophetic word, you should always walk away from it feeling encouraged and full of life, like you can do this, like you have a destiny and you can dream towards that destiny. Um, (coughs) You know, the Bible shows us how God sees people, and this is important, He looks at an old Abraham and Sarah who can't have kids. They're way beyond that. And he sees a whole nation. Okay, he sees David, who's a shepherd boy. He's not treated well by his family. And there's some hints about that, that his brothers may have been um, abusing him a bit or at least not treating him well, but he wasn't even invited by his dad to come to the time when Samuel came there. There's some signs there that he was not cared for that much in his own home. And yet, God sees this shepherd boy and he sees a giant killer and a future king. Right? That's how God sees. Now, Gideon's my favorite. Full of, I'm sure he had panic attacks. I'm sure he had panic attacks. I just feel really close to Gideon. And while he was having his panic attack, one of them, one of many, an angel came to him and said, mighty warrior. Do you see what God does? And Paul, Paul's the most amazing. I mean, he's actually a terrorist. He was a jihadist, right? Murdered tons of believers with a religious fervor. But who did God see? God saw one of the greatest heroes of the kingdom. Can we do that for people? Can we see with God's eyes. You know, one of the things that Leif says, because he ministers to Muslims, he says, can we see Muslims not like a problem, but a promise? That kind of changes some things inside, doesn't it? So I'm going to run through these really quickly. Who does God say we are to honor? Okay, now you can put up that, Linda. Okay. 1 Peter 2.17, honor all people, love the community of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Now this is incredible, especially the honor the emperor part. 
because Nero was the emperor, one of the most cruel Roman emperors in, in America history, um, in, in Roman history. He was just so cruel. One of the things he used to love doing is take Christians, set them on fire, and use them as candles for his banquets. So, I mean, this is a cruel, cruel man. And can you imagine Peter saying that to, to believers and saying, honor the emperor? Okay? That's a, that's, okay, elders. Elders, they get, you can read it yourself, they get double honor, whatever that means, but that's great. Um, honor your father and mother. We know this. Um, honor your father and mother. As the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may be well with you in the land which, um, which the Lord your God is giving you. In other words, God is taking you somewhere, and one of the ways you get there is by honoring your parents. This wasn't always easy for me at all. Um, as I said, my, my parents didn't say I loved you. I don't ever remember being hugged. And my dad, I don't remember one conversation. I do remember one in fourth grade, seventh grade, when, um, when I was growing up. And my dad, probably 90% of the time, was out of the country. So I didn't see him much. I had no relationship with him at all. When he would come home from our trips, from his trips, he would bring me lavish gifts, which I hated. Absolutely hated. Because I wanted him. And so I resented the gifts terribly. So I was talking to Pastor Miller, who was my spiritual dad, back when I was, I guess I was 19 then. And I said, I just, I just hate him. I hate the gifts. I can't handle the gifts. I can't stand being in the same room with him. And Pastor Miller said, that is the only way, the gifts are the only way your dad knows to show you he loves you. Receive those gifts. And it was one of those things that just went into my spirit. I thought, oh, that's God. And then along the same time, and I've told you this, we got a word that my dad would be saved through a testimony of our lives, which at that point seemed ridiculous. Anyway, at that point, I started a relationship with my dad. Yes, he still bought me really lavish clothes. But at that point, we were living um, in a really poor section in Wilmington, and there was, um, and, and even if he gave them to me today, I mean, where would I wear them, you know? Um, but I started changing my attitude and started saying, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dad. And our relationship changed. And when my dad died, a few years after that, he died a saved man, and our relationship was full of love. I'll have to say one thing that just tore me up inside. One time, um, I would meet him in New York City, and um, one time, now, our family did not touch, and one of the times we were crossing the street, and my dad reached over and held my hand while we crossed the street. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> but you know, the, the thing is, I feel that one of the things, and it was certainly God had set me up for this because he gave me a word, a word of instruction and a word of prophecy. And then I had the grace to do it. Do you understand? He, God set me up for this. So it's not anything I did. It, God set me up. However, it paved the way for my dad's salvation. Okay? And there may be some of you that have parents that are not saved. It could be that you're honoring them. 
And that doesn't mean you agree with anything they do. But you honor them and treat them well. You esteem them as somebody of high value. That's what it means. Okay. Um, Wives, this is important, husbands, because if you don't treat your wives with honor, guess what? Your prayers are going to be hindered. That's a big deal. Um, Your employer, um, and then Romans 12.10, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. You know, I imagine Paul at some point was very competitive. I don't know what gives me that idea. But here's the thing. He wants us to outdo each other in honor. Isn't that cute? Um, God honors us. Hebrews 2.7 You made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. Hmm. So who does God say to honor? Who? Everybody. Everybody. There's nobody who wasn't created by him. So everybody. Um, hmm, I've got to find my next page. Do you know I had to go to three computers before this printed out? Okay, Romans 1.7. Receive one another just as Jesus has received, as God has received you and Jesus but has received you. That's the key. Honestly, I don't know if you can do this if you, haven't, if you haven't felt that honor from God. If you haven't felt that love from God, I don't know if you can do it. So you need to get that squared away first, and then it just flows out because you've been honored. See, humility is the base, the foundation of this. I don't think that you can honor someone if you're proud. Because honestly, when you're proud, you tend to honor yourself. But when you are humble, you can honor other people and you prefer them. You see? That's real. So I think humility is really, really important here. It's at the foundation. I I want to quickly just tell you that story in Luke 4. When Jesus came to his own hometown to pray for people. Don't you think he was excited that he came to his own hometown? I mean, he knew these people. And don't we always want to go to people we know and and show them what... I remember the first time you you actually wrote a long letter to your best friend from college about your salvation. And you never heard from him. You never even responded. And, you know, we always want to do that. So there's Jesus going back to his hometown. And he, he reads... You know, remember he takes up the scroll and he reads those amazing verses about setting the captives free, all the good news. And he says, he sits down and he says, in this day, this has come to be. And he sits down. And it says right there, it says that the people were amazed that it was a testimony to them. They hadn't heard from God in 400 years. And they knew something different had happened here. Because it said they were, they were in wonderment, they were marveling, they were amazed at what happened. And then a buzz started happening. And someone said, well, isn't that, isn't that Jesus, Joseph's son? And guess what? The presence of God. And Jesus, this is Jesus. 
could only do a few miracles that he, of people he laid hands on. Hmm? A few healings. No. A few healings. No miracles. A few healings. Okay. That's sad, isn't it? That's really sad. So, this is really what I want. We're moving into this season. I can feel it. Now, I don't know, I don't know what the enemy's going to say as far as division. Um, you know, like try to put into your mind. I can see some things that could happen that I've seen happen before in other revivals. Now, some of you, um, some of you go to Holy Spirit night. Some of you don't. Guess what? That has nothing to do with your spirituality. And I'm going to set that free right now. Set you free on that. You are all, um, the only one you have to obey is the Holy Spirit. And you should never be pressured, ever, to go to the Holy Spirit night, or to go to a conference, or to read this book. And no one should say in their heads, well, you're out, or you're not that spiritual, because you're not doing this. Okay? Now, there's another side to it. You who don't go to the Holy Spirit night, what I've seen happen in the, the past is what happened, what, what I heard, saw in the last revival, is that the people who didn't go started saying things, well, they're just flaky. They're just flaky. They're just crazy people. See, that's not honoring either. Do you see that's an in and out thing too? That's basically saying, hey, I'm really amazing. I'm, I'm you know, I'm cool. They're out. Do you see any of that? Now, that's a, small, that's a small thing, but I think it's indicative. Here's another thing that I saw during Toronto. Some people, some people shook. Some people cried. Some people, a lot of people laughed, which was unusual. Had never happened in history. Well, I think there was, there was one other that happened, but it was still unusual for a lot of people. Some people just stood still, some people fainted. Some people went in trances. Some people didn't feel anything. Okay, hear me out on this. I've done a lot of study on this. Hear me out. Now, we can, this, the presence, I'm not talking about the, well, I am talking about the presence of God. When the presence of God comes down, our bodies respond. Okay, I'm someone who tends to shake. When, when the Holy Spirit's presence is here, do you understand that makes me no more spiritual than the person who doesn't shake at all? Let's get this in perspective. What's important here? What is important? All of us worshiping and seeking God. That's what keeps the unity. So that's what I'm really... As we start to go into this new season, let us be unified. Let us be so tight, so unified. Don't let those thoughts come into your mind. Don't let any division come into your mind. Have the mindset of God that we're going to keep the unity so that the Holy Spirit will find a place to come. You know, one of the things that we used to say all the time about the barn is the name ain't worth spit. And that is really important. I'll tell you why. 
<coughs> because if amazing things start to happen here, and some have already happened here, we're not the big deal. And that's why when you're hearing about someone else's church, you honor that church. You don't talk about, oh, you need to come to the barn. I'm not saying don't invite people, but do you get what I'm saying? You don't talk down on other people's churches. I've always felt a little bit stressed when people start talking about the chosen frozen. I don't know how, did I say that wrong? Chosen frozen, yeah. Frozen chosen. Okay, frozen chosen. Because those are God's people you're talking about. So I'm just saying some things here that I just feel are so important. So this is conclusion and a challenge. Put that last... Oh, that's my challenge. Did I have a... Oh, maybe I... Oh, did I have a... No, keep going. Yes, thank you. This is by Danny Silk, right out of his book. A controlling God who is usually represented by a controlling church leadership is just, it's not good news. How can church leadership create freedom and not more rules? How can we bring out the best in human beings and keep it at the surface even as we deal with their problems and shortcomings? Can we empower others and release them to live from their best natures, and from the truest reasons they are alive. Will we as Christian leaders, parents, employers, take on the responsibility to learn how to draw out the dreams and destiny in the people we lead? So here's our challenge. Because I think we all have our sphere of influence and people we lead. We all have that. And so how do we treat those people? Here's the challenge. Pay attention Are you moving away from a person or are you withdrawing? If you're withdrawing, you're probably starting to say they're on the out and I'm on the in. Okay? Make a decision. Determine to honor each other. Make it a deliberate act. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, we always talk about the Holy Spirit being in a meeting. But the fact is, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And when you, when you have judgments against other people, what happens is the spirit inside you grieves and you suddenly start to feel distant from God and people. So, Father, I just thank you for what's coming ahead. Father, can we be a people who don't end revivals? Can we be a people... And I not only pray this for the barn, but for churches all around the world. Can we be a people? Can we do this by your grace, God, who does not fight among each other, but that we know to honor each other within our own churches, outside the church, other churches, in the marketplace, that we be people who bring people to life. Can we do this, God? I am begging you, Father, not that I ever have to beg a dad that loves me because I know this is on your heart. Do this, God. Do this. Do this to every one of us. In Jesus' name.